Support for WPR comes from Schultz Nonprofit Law, sharing WPR's mission to inform and inspire, and providing advice for nonprofits, cooperatives, and other social enterprises. SchultzNonprofitLaw.com. Support for WPR comes from the Stevens Point area, offering a variety of getaway experiences, itineraries and ideas for beer lovers, foodies, outdoor recreation fans, and more are at StevensPointArea.com. Simply Superior News and Issues from a superior point of view. On March 2nd, at 2 a.m. in the morning, the Russian bombers came to bomb the city of Borodyanka. A year after the Russian invasion, local residents from Ukraine recalled a toll on their families. But I'm really thankful that my nephew is alive. Plus, having narrowly escaped the war, a teen spends her senior year in Birchwood. We kept telling her that if she was in New York City, nobody would have even known she was there, but she was in Birchwood, Wisconsin, and the whole town knew she was here. And our musical guests respond to the war. Gotta think it over, think it over, do we fight or run for our lives? Welcome to Simply Superior. I'm Robin Washington. Next week will mark one year since troops from Vladimir Putin's Russia invaded Ukraine in the deadliest European conflict since the Second World War. It's affected the entire world, from the millions of Ukrainian refugees who fled the country to sanctions against Russian energy depleting world oil and gas supplies to the threat of famine due to the blocking of Ukrainian grain shipments. And it's affected our region, too through those same economic impacts and the very real stories of local residents who have immediate ties to the country, including close family members. One of those is Igor Kolomitsyn of Duluth, who joined us last year after the war began and is here with us again. Welcome back to Simply Superior, Igor. Thank you, Robin. I'm, it is my pleasure to participate and tell my story. So, first of all, how's your family in Ukraine and how are you? It was a very difficult year for me. I would say very difficult. Uh, I am with God and with luck, all my family members are alive. That's the most important. Mm-hmm. We are all connected. We're communicating constantly. Uh, if somebody needs help, we immediately deliver the help. And everybody is alive. That's the major thing here. And where are they physically in the country? Uh, my family, majority of family is uh, located in the city Kiev city of Zhitomir, and a very close family located in the city uh, called Borodyanka. Uh, city Kiev is the capital of Ukraine. And the Zhitomir, that's about uh, 100 miles west, directly from Kiev. And the city of Borodyanka, it's uh, 50 kilometers directly north from Kiev, about like 30 miles north. I yeah. think I remember you telling me last year that one relative had gone further west, which uh, at the time seemed like a safer thing to do, but it wasn't. Yeah, it's exactly right. A couple of my family members from Zutomir, they went uh, west to Ukraine in the city called Lviv, and then they had to go even farther to a city called Uzbek. Mm-hmm. This is far, far west of Ukraine. A couple of the family members uh, currently reside in Poland, and I'm so thankful to the Poland government and the people in Poland uh, who helped them to relocate, accommodating them until uh, they could figure it out and come back to their life in Zutoma. What's been the scariest moment for them and you? I'm so thankful. I'm really thankful okay, to the God or to higher power 
that when on March 2nd at 2 a.m. in the morning, the Russian bombers came to bomb city of Borodyanka. My nephew, the son of my sister, was not at home at the time. The house collapses. We lost property, we lost apartment, with, it's, it's gone, it's gone to rebel. People died there. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's sad. And it's 2 a.m. in the morning. And that, 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 that's, that's a war crime. This is atrocities against the civilian population. But I'm really thankful that my nephew is alive and his girlfriend, which they supposed to be at home, but they were not. Mm. Where are they now? Are they still in the country or did they leave? Yeah, yeah, they're still in the country. They don't want to leave. We had to organize the housing for them, temporary housing. And they do have a place to live. And, of course, we're going to wait until the war is over to figure it out how to, what to do with this whole place. There are people, they immediately... Uh, organize help, relocate. Uh, the only thing they had left is the car. They apparently were parking at the time in the car somewhere in the friend's house. Hmm. And so when they came out in the morning, everything is gone except the car. Another hard piece was when I realized that I lost communication with my sister. And to the end, she was hiding the fact that Russians already is uh, in the area. And it was too late for her to leave. I learned later on, much later. Because the Russians uh, were uh, shooting at the civilian vehicles. And every vehicle who trying to escape the area would be shot down by uh, armored vehicles, by small um, uh, grenade launchers. And the people who were trapped, uh, trapped between the Ukrainians who were fighting for their freedom and for the democracy. And I learned only in April, which scares me to death. Finally, uh, one of my friends was able to sneak into that uh, particular area where my sister is residing. And then about a week later, she was able to communicate. We, we, we talked about for five minutes, so I, I, I knew she was all right. We're speaking with Igor Kolomitsyn of Duluth. He's a native of Ukraine who still has close family members there, although some have managed to leave the country and go to Poland. We're talking about the one-year anniversary next week of the Russian invasion of the country. So you aren't the only one in our area with Ukraine connections, of course. Uh, We've had exchange students, others like yourselves born in Ukraine, who have made their homes here in both Wisconsin and Minnesota as children or adults. How coordinated is the community or has it become? The community is rapidly growing. And uh, with the help of the Facebook, we are getting better with communication compared to the year of 2021. So, yes, community is getting closer and, and we are communicating. I think that leads into my next question, which is uh, for everyone outside of the community, what can people do? Uh, and, of course, there's some Americans who have gone over to fight. We know about that. But short of becoming a combatant or contributing militarily, what can the average person do? I think the most important thing which community in Duluth and in, in, in the Superior uh, has to be very lo- uh, vocal. We keep have to reminding the uh, politicians that the Ukraine is defending its sovereignty and the freedom, and it's fighting for democracy and its culture and, the, and its na- nation. I was asked, like, why Ukrainians want those lands? Let's make a peace. Uh, if it would be that simple, uh, the war would be over in 2014. 
Mm -hmm. And so we we need to get together. We and one thing I learned over last year: if we're united, like Ukrainians got united very fast in the first days across the world, and despite all predictions, like uh, Putin's predictions that Kiev will fall in three, three days, and United States prediction was seven days and Ukrainians would fall or will fail, because we got united and because we push and pull and help and pull help from all angles, all across the globe, and because people all across the globe got with the Ukrainians together. Ukrainians still standing. Ukrainians still fighting. And Ukrainians liberated 50% of its uh, original occupied territory so far. Also, there is another option. I I would like to, um, if, if I may, uh, there is a Linda Sherman Foundation which was uh, founded by Bob Sherman. He traveled several times to Ukraine already. And he is working with the, directly working with the hospitals and hospices in Ukraine to help bring Ukrainian doctors here for additional training or deliver supplies, much needed supplies. Or So if people would like to participate, I think uh, me and Bob would definitely uh, appreciate very much. You can just Google it, Linda, J. Sherman Foundation, and you will see the website. Linda is L-I-N-D-A, J. Sherman Foundation. What's the biggest impact of the war on our region, other than direct family stories like yourself? I think the deepest impact, what I'm seeing, that people start asking questions about the world and about the history and about why. And I really glad, I, I, I'm really glad to see this type of questions being asked. Like, why? Why is it going on? What happened? Is it some local event? And more and more voices I keep hearing, and more, more people is asking me either privately uh, or on, on, on any uh, formal dinner um, events, uh, which usually sparkle quite interesting discussion, and I... And I learned that the, the best answer would be to point to the information, which is readily available, and help them to go through the information and learn about the history. And the reason we need to learn about the history, because we really don't want to repeat the errors which humanity did over the last centuries. So that's, I think that's the most uh, deepest impact which I'm seeing. Beyond, of course, econ economic uh, and uh, gas prices, and other uh, economic issues. We are again speaking with Igor Kolomitsin of Duluth. He's a native of Ukraine and has close family members there and some who have made it to Poland. We are talking about the one-year anniversary next week of the Russian invasion of the country. So what's your most optimistic hope for the outcome? I really hope that people in the Western universe, I would say, the people who value democratic values, who value democracy, who value freedom, and who would stand up and say no to those imperial, imperial ambitions, would deliver help and weapons faster. And the faster we can act, the faster we can wrap up and finish this war. And the faster we can finish the war, the the faster we can reestablish peace and finally the international law can, uh, can, can, can withstand. I think this is the most important uh, outcome which uh, 
I hope would happen this year. It, it really depends on the collective effort. Ukrainians would fight to the end. I have no doubt about it, and I think all our listeners and uh, all people who observe what happened in, in Ukraine already know that Ukrainians are going to stand and it's going to fight. But the, the involvement of all Western world, involvement of people is essential. And, and that, uh, uh, that involvement will bring peace and, and will finalize this horrible, horrible event um, and bring those responsible to justice. Normally, I would ask, uh, having asked the most optimistic hope, uh, what's your most pessimistic? But you know what? I'm not going to do that. So uh, I think you've already uh, lived through it quite uh, demonstratively. Uh, but one thing I would say, maybe looking toward that optimism, is you and I were talking about having your sister on this call of having her from Ukraine, and if there's internet issues, there's telephone issues, and it's not that easy for her just to pick up the phone and call. But I am going to ask that we definitely have a call with you and me and your sister when the war is over. I think this is a beautiful idea. Let's look forward to this particular day, and we're going to celebrate right here together. And we Definitely, I would like to see this day, and I, 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 I can, uh, I can ensure that my sister definitely would participate. All right, we've been speaking with Igor Kolomitsin of Duluth. He's a native of Ukraine who has, of course, his sister, as we mentioned, and other family members there. We've been talking about the one-year anniversary next week of the Russian invasion of the country. Thank you for joining us, Igor. I would like to express my deepest gratitude and appreciation for the invitation, Robert. Thank you very much. Along with members of Igor's family are millions of Ukrainians who've escaped the war for other countries. But the town of Birchwood played host to one Ukrainian teenager who arrived in the Wisconsin community the summer before the invasion with no idea what would happen back home. For the beginning of the 2021-22 school year, Victoria Babina may have been mistaken for just another Birchwood High senior. Jody Scar was her host mom, and she joins me now. Hello, Jody. Can you tell me how Victoria first came into your lives? Um, we went through a program called the Aspect Program. Um, it brings foreign exchange students to America. Um, our local school offered the program. Um, we posted her, and she was from Ukraine. Mm -hmm. and, and, of course, this was back in uh, a few months before the war, which, of course, was, you know, a world away from it. So uh, what were your anticipations when you took this Cor on in the first correct. place? Yeah, You know, our concerns when we, um, when we chose a country that we wanted to host, we looked to try to find a, a, con a country that had a lot of the same common um, things that we um, were used to in in our household. So we wanted to um, not have her get homesick or, you know, have a total culture shock, like if she didn't eat meat or something like that, you know. So so we chose the country of Ukraine. Um, it was a great fit. We had no issues at all until... Um, until February. Country. Right. And even then, um, she was very adamant that her family was fine and that she was in America to learn and that she needed to continue um, 
her stay here, and she did very well with that. Mm-hmm. Um, we were in contact with her parents um, multiple times, and then, um, you know, we just kept telling them to be safe and that she was safe with us, and we would keep her as long as we needed. She was supposed to leave the first part of May last year, and we did end up keeping her almost till July. Mm-hmm. Um, it took a little bit longer to get her back home because we couldn't just send her to back to Ukraine. We had to send her to Italy. Her parents ended up being refugees in Italy. Ah, okay. And what part of Ukraine is she from? She was over by Romania. Initially, her family wasn't under like the bombing and stuff, Mm -hmm. Um, but it eventually all did end up over there. When did they leave to Italy? Um, It was probably a few weeks into the war. Um, Her dad was able to get out first. He happened to be out of the country for his job and then um, didn't really kind of come back in. And then her mom and her sister, it was a couple weeks before they got out. So uh, back here, uh, she was actually in the Birchwood schools, uh, the prom queen, I understand. Yes. <laughs> How did yes, that happen? She well, she was very popular. Actually, it's kind of a fun story. She initially was supposed to um, go to um, back the first part of May and the prom was like the middle of May. Well, we kept telling her that if she was in New York City, nobody would have even known she was there, but she was in Birchwood, Wisconsin and the whole <laughs> town knew she was here. Um, we're a town of about four or 500. And so she was always amazed that when we would go like to the bank or we would go to the grocery store or people would stop her and say, I'm, you know, how are you, Victoria? How is your family? We are praying for your family. And she just could not wrap her head around that this small little community that everybody knew that um, people would stop her. Um, we were in a restaurant one night and a gentleman came up and um, gave her a hundred dollars and, you know, um, told her to enjoy her stay in America. And she just, she could not get over that people were that kind. So when it came to the prom, um, her teachers actually um, changed the date so that she could attend the prom. And then, yes, her um, peers voted her as um, the prom queen. Mm-hmm. And you just spoke with her? Um, I just texted her today to see how she was doing. She's doing well. She is at in college at Amsterdam. Um, for graphic design, doing well. Her parents are back in Ukraine. They were trying to get citizenship in Italy so that they have dual citizenship in another country. Um, They were able to go back and forth to their apartment, um, depending on how the war was going when it would settle down a little bit. So they're going back and forth between Ukraine and Italy? Okay. Yes, yes. And she's in Amsterdam. She's in Amsterdam at college, correct. She sends pictures of all the fun places that she goes and she sees. And then she tells us she misses Birchwood. And we laugh because we think, look at all of the places you're seeing. And, um, you know, (laughs) but you miss Birchwood. And has she been back to Ukraine and does she plan on going back? Yes. I know that she went back to get some of her stuff because I had been talking to her the day that she did it with her family. And she at that day, that day said she could hear the bombing and they were there at nighttime trying Mm -hmm. to get it. And I remember saying to her, well, get it and get out of there. So um, she has made the comment to me that Ukraine will never be the same and home will never be the same. And people here now are more aware of it than they were. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. It very much touched everybody. Um, still now, um, we are asked all the time, how is she doing? Um, her classmate uh, kids um, had a little pre- breakfast pancake um, fundraiser. They raised like $4,000, mm. which was huge for kids to send back for um, her and her family. She kept saying, you know, they, um, we, we will be okay. And we said... If your family can't use it, then, you know, pass it along to somebody else that can. All right. We've been speaking with Jody Scar of Birchwood, who was the host mother for Victoria Babina last year and during the invasion. Thanks for joining us, Jody. Thank you. Coming up, a superior professor puts his skills to work to help Ukrainian students. Plus, our musical guests give their offerings against war and oppression. Is this what it's gonna take? Welcome back to Simply Superior. I'm Robin Washington. So if you're asking yourself what can you do to help Ukrainians affected by the war, you might take a note from our next guest, and a thousand others already have. His name is Michael Waxman, and he's a professor in the Natural Sciences Department at the University of Wisconsin-Superior. He's an immigrant himself, but from Siberia in Russia, not Ukraine, yet he wanted to do something to help Ukrainians after the war began. And that something has quickly grown into Tutoring Without Borders, an international effort aiding some 3,000 Ukrainian students. And he joins me now. Welcome to Wisconsin Public Radio, Professor Waxman. Thank you very much, Robin. I appreciate this opportunity to talk with the listeners. So you wanted to help the people of Ukraine, but not necessarily to go there yourself. Tell us how you thought you could help and what you did to make it happen. Well, uh, I thought that uh, well, the only way that I could help uh, was to do what I do my whole life. And that is uh, teaching, tutoring kids. When you got the idea, uh, again, you weren't planning on going to Ukraine, so you figured you would do it uh, remotely. Uh-huh, but yeah. how did you find the students, the people to tutor? Oh, it was very easy. I uh, put an ad in a, on a couple of Ukrainian sites stating that I am an American professor for the last 30 years, and uh, I would be happy to tutor kids in uh, math or physics or chemistry. So students, students appeared right away. Mm-hmm. That's what I started doing uh, in about mid-March of 2022. And uh, one of my students was uh, originally from Kiev, but at the time he was hiding in a little village near a small town of Nizhen. And uh, at that time there was street fighting in the city of Nizhen. So the situation was pretty serious uh, up there. And uh, he was talking to me. I was I was tutoring him when he was sitting in a car. And uh, my uh, impression was that uh, that my uh, tutoring is almost wasted because uh, the connection was terrible uh, with frequent interruptions. And he was he was looking to the side all the time, to the left, to the right. Uh, my impression was that he hardly listens to me. 
And then in a couple of weeks, his mother told me uh, in a Facebook message that when the war started, uh, Orest, that was his name, uh, really changed dramatically. Terrible sleeplessness, uh, shook with every uh, loud sound. And uh, she tried to talk with him. She's a professional psychologist. And uh, her husband tried. Nothing helped. But then she told, once you started working with my son, I all of a sudden saw my old pre-war boy. Hmm. Again, sitting in the YouTube all the time, watching all those videos in physics. Just same old pre-war child. And that really shook me to the core, <laughs> really, because, uh, you know, the thing is, I do not consider myself as a great instructor. I am an average instructor. And uh, if I was able to do it with all this terrible internet connection and everything, then uh, hundreds of thousands of instructors throughout this country could do more or less the same to kids who are so much obviously in need of help. And that is how I came up with this idea to, to enlarge the scale of this operation, so to say. I uh, spoke with my former neighbor, Professor Vitaly Vanchurin, and our sons were the ones who technically uh, constructed the, the website. Uh, my son did the logo and uh, the initial design, and uh, Cosmos Vanchurin, who is himself a child, a pupil, um, has done, uh, I think now he is on like third or fourth iteration of the computer code that enables our site to operate, uh, making it uh, more and more uh, sophisticated. And so what is the uh, status of the organization today? Is tutors without borders, and so I'm hearing tutors as plural, more than one, right? Tutoring, yeah. Well, the, the name of the organization is Tutoring Without okay. Borders. But uh, yes, we certainly have a number of tutors. Right now, we have about uh, 3,000 students who applied to us and about 1,000 tutors who agreed to tutor them. Wow. For the first maybe half a year, I was the one who was doing the tutoring. But now the mother of one of uh, our former students agreed to do it. And um, I have more time to work with kids, really doing the tutoring again, more, more of that. Uh, I can tell you that a lot of our tutors were university professors who uh, volunteered to tutor university-level subjects. And most of the students who applied to us originally were uh, not as advanced as to be uh, using their services. So what I started to do in the last uh, maybe three or four months is to offer our services to gifted kids. And, uh, for example, one of them signed up on our site. I asked him, what can I do for you? Do you need help maybe uh, learning integration, differentiation? He is, uh, I think, a 10th grader who is very active on uh, math and informatics Olympiad. I asked him about uh, that integration differentiation. He told me, oh, no, that's easy. I just read textbooks. That's no problem for me. <laughs> what I would like you to do, if possible, of course, 
is to find the tutors in two areas. One is the number theory, and the other one is combinatorics. And you know what? I found for him a lady in Princeton University who does her PhD thesis right now in the number theory and has a number of publications in combinatorics. Mm -hmm. So having a thousand tutors is a huge, you know, huge wealth of, of skills. Right. I take it that they're from all over the world? They are literally all over the world. Mm -hmm. There are tutors from uh, United States, Canada, Kazakhstan, Israel, a lot of tutors from Europe, from uh, South America, from Australia. There are some people from Australia, from uh, Japan, Pakistan, and from Africa too, by the way. Yeah, you name it. And uh, tutors from most of the major universities, you know, Oxford, Cambridge, uh, MIT, Princeton, Yale, whatever. We are speaking with Michael Waxman. He is a professor in the Natural Sciences Department at the University of Wisconsin-Superior and the creator of Tutoring Without Borders. So 3,000 students, are they all Ukrainian at this point? Or, and if they are, are they all still in Ukraine or have they gone, you know, as refugees uh, again around the world? Yeah, these are all students from Ukraine. Uh, many of them uh, live in Kiev now, uh, some in uh, Odessa, all across Ukraine. But, of course, many of them are also scattered throughout the world as refugees. Right. Your background, as I uh, mentioned, is you're yeah. from Siberia. Why Ukraine? Mm -hmm. Why did you uh, feel the need to help Ukrainians? Well, uh, it's because I feel compassion toward these people who were subjected to this aggression. And I don't think that the fact that I am from Siberia should in any way preclude me from the desire to help those kids. Mm -hmm. I think they are in very difficult situation now. And uh, I want to use my language skill in Russian. And a lot of them do speak Russian. I want to use it to uh, indeed help them. In a sense, I can serve for them as a sort of a bridge between uh, Russian-speaking communities and the United States, for example, uh, because a number of them uh, do think about getting their education uh, made abroad. And by lecturing them in a sort of a mixture of uh, English and Russian, I think it gets them accustomed to perceiving a lecture in English in a little bit more easy way than they would otherwise. Right. By listening to a, to a Native American uh, speaker who doesn't know Russian. Got it. We have been speaking with Michael Waxman. He's a professor in the Natural Sciences Department at the University of Wisconsin-Superior and the creator of Tutoring Without Borders for Students in Ukraine. Thank you for joining us, Professor Waxman. Yeah, most welcome. Thank you very much for the opportunity. As Professor Waxman illustrates, helping those torn by war is not something limited to any particular profession, and musicians are no exception. We put a call out this week to our past musical guests for songs they'd like to share inspired by the fight for freedom and democracy, even if not directly written about the war in Ukraine. 
Here, then, is Elska with her stirring anthem, Stand Together, followed by the equally inspiring Is This What It's Gonna Take? by Pippi Ardinia and Daniel Leahy. Gotta think it over, think it over Think it over, it's time to face it, it's time to face it.
Welcome back to Simply Superior. I'm Robin Washington, and we're joined by Rick Lubbers of the Duluth News Tribune. Hello, Rick. Hi, Robin. And Shalon Monroe, multimedia journalist for WDIO-TV. Hello, Shalon. Hello, Robin. So, Rick, last week we had Bob King, a.k.a. Astro Bob, on the show to tell us how to identify things in the sky after the Chinese balloon was shot down over South Carolina two weeks ago. But now those objects are closer to home and our jets are involved again, and I do mean our jets. <laughs> yes, they are. Uh, an F-16 from Minnesota Air National Guard's 148th Fighter Wing shot down an unidentified object over Lake Huron on Sunday. Uh, officials are now searching for the debris, which likely fell into deep water on the Canadian side of the Great Lake. Uh, the Duluth-based fighter wing, which flies F-16 Fighter Falcon fighter jets, took off from Madison, Wisconsin, to shoot down a flying object over Lake Huron as part of a federal mission. Minnesota Governor Tim Wall said in a tweet Sunday evening that the Bulldogs executed their mission flawlessly, protected the homeland, and got the birds home safe. It's one of a handful of unidentified objects shot down over the U.S. and Canada in recent days. Uh, the shootdowns come after a Chinese spying balloon was brought down February 4 off the coast of South Carolina after crossing much of the country. A uh, few details have been shared on the objects downed since last week Friday. Uh, the U.S. Department of Defense uh, said that the 148 F-16 fired a Sidewinder missile and downed the object at 1.42 p.m. Central Time at the direction of President Joe Biden, uh, based on recommendations from Secretary of Defense Lloyd J. Austin III and other military leadership. The White House said Sunday it's too early to definitively describe the object shot down. It was spotted at about 20,000 feet, uh, which is an altitude that was assessed to pose risks to civilian flights. Uh, the Department of Defense said NORAD was tracking the object visually and by radar since Sunday morning. It also said it was likely the same object briefly detected over Montana on Saturday. Well, also in the air, or maybe not, Cirrus has grounded some planes and halted production on others over safety issues. Yes, uh, Cirrus Aircraft has a recent development uh, that appears to have broken the company's stride with its production of its hottest-selling planes, and it's going to disrupt deliveries of those models, at least temporarily. On February 8, Cirrus reached out to customers to inform them of a possible problem that the Duluth-based company is treating very seriously. Uh, Cirrus was informed by Continental Aerospace Technologies of an issue that affects engines that power both Cirrus SR-22 and SR-22T models, their most popular brands. Uh, the company announced that while we are still working with Continental to determine the scope of the issue and the specific serial number range of the affected aircraft, we are proactively making the decision out of abundance of caution to pause all internal Cirrus aircraft company flight operation on SR-22 and SR-22Ts manufactured and issued a certificate of airworthiness from June 1, 2021 through February 7, 2023. Uh, Continental recommended that engines manufactured during that time frame in aircraft with fewer than 200 hours of operating time should be limited to no more than five hours of additional operation to deliver the craft for inspection and possible service. Recipients of letter were also advised Cirrus would be pausing new customer deliveries. Cirrus is Duluth's largest manufacturer, uh, employing more than 1,200 people locally. Company officials did not elaborate on how the engine issue had impacted production. Well, back on the ground in a different form of transportation, there's been concern about security at parking ramps in Duluth. 
Yes, there has. Uh, after a lengthy discussion Monday night, uh, Duluth City Councilors approved a resolution to provide $165,000 to beef up security and restrict access to the Tech Village parking ramp. Uh, Noel Shuckman, the city's chief administrative officer, said people had used downtown ramps to engage in drug use, confrontational behavior, and have often left behind syringes. Uh, he said these types of problems have occurred in other ramps as well, but the Tech Village structure has been the greatest source of complaints, making it the city's first priority, uh, with other ramps likely to be addressed uh, down the road. Councilors debated the effect that this would have on the city's homeless population but also noted that the city is taking action to address the problem of homelessness in other ways and maintaining free access to parking ramps for unattended purposes. Uh, this includes the city's recent dedication of $19.2 million in federal pandemic relief uh, to foster the development of more affordable housing, as well as its decision to spend another $1.8 million for crisis intervention outreach to help people struggling with homelessness, mental health issues, and substance abuse. Now, in addition to cameras, the ramp uh, would be equipped with quick closed doors to allow vehicles to exit and enter the structure with minimal opportunity for passerby traffic to gain entrance. Uh, meanwhile, pedestrian access would be restricted by requiring users to scan a parking ticket to unlock exterior doors. Uh, Shuckman noted that if people decide to stop using public ramps due to safety concerns and sanitation issues, that the city would be deprived of the very parking revenue stream it depends upon to take care of them. All right. Well, Shalon, turning to Superior, there is a local primary election next week, but it doesn't sound like voters will have to study very hard to figure out who to vote for. No, they won't have to study that hard because Mayor Jim Payne and five other district leaders are up for re-election, are running unopposed. The only seat that is available is 3rd District Alder Person, which has four candidates on the ballot. And speaking of Mayor Jim Payne, Mayor Payne was initially elected in 2017 to finish out the remaining two years of former Mayor Bruce Hagen, who passed away. The primary elections will be taking place on February the 21st, with the final election on April the 4th. It's going to be slightly an empty ballot, but, you know, at least people will have their choice to figure out who will be the best candidate for the third district. And also in Superior, the schools are introducing a new sport, or an old sport, making its debut in the schools. Yes, it is. And this sport, it, like you said, it is a new sport for the old sport. On Monday, the Superior School Board voted to add lacrosse to their program, and it was approved by a vote of six to one. Now, the WIAA, which is the Wisconsin Interscholastic Athletic Association, has a 2023-24 school year slated for the inaugural season of lacrosse to start. Over in Duluth, Denfield, Duluth East, Grand Rapids, Hermantown, and Proctor already have lacrosse programs. So it looks like Minnesota has already had the sport. Back on the Wisconsin side, I can't help but ask if Superior is getting lacrosse, will lacrosse get a game called Superior? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what that game would look like, Robin. <laughs> well, I'm sure it will be Superior. So <laughs> with that, we've been joined by Shalon Monroe. Multimedia journalist for WDIO-TV. Thank you, Shalon. Thank you, Robin. And superior lacrosse player, perhaps, Rick Lubbers, executive <laughs> editor of the Duluth News Tribune. Thank you, Rick. Thanks, Robin. You can stay updated on these stories and all the regional news anytime at WPR.org, DuluthNewsTribune.com, and WDIO.com. 
And that's it for this edition of Simply Superior. I'm Robin Washington. We leave you with another song by one of our past musical guests to commemorate the struggle and resilience of the people of Ukraine. Close to You, Braver These Days by Scarlet Woods. Stay safe, everyone. I spoke a little secret as you stepped out of the room. I leaned a little closer after all the springs and blooms. all over me Call us to become like one that night gave me a song I got hooked by your smile Pulled me from a mile I'm feeling a little braver these days I'm feeling braver I'm fair.